0: Needs money. That's why they call it money.
1: The best in
2: life are free. But you can give them to the,
1: and be the from Fool Global Headquarters. This is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, senior analyst Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey Chris. Hey How's How's doing, Chris? Chris. It is our 2022 preview. We've got stocks to watch, stocks to avoid, CEOs on the hot seat. And of course, as we do every year, we're going to make a few reckless predictions. But Ron, we're going to go wide to start the show. What is an industry you're going to be watching in 2022 and why? Chris, I'm watching renewable
0: energy that's wind, solar, hydroelectric. These alternatives currently supply about a quarter of the electricity generated by the power sector. Obviously, climate change is the catalyst here. The world is moving away from carbon-based fossil fuels to cleaner alternative energy sources. The decarbonization of the global economy will take an estimated investment of more than $100 trillion over the next three decades. Biden's $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill in November has some significant money earmarked for energy, but. Senator Manchin seems to have derailed the Build Back Better plan for now, which had uh, about $555 billion earmarked for clean energy. Still, I think any way you look at it, renewable energy is the future, not necessarily only a 2022 industry to watch, but an investment for the long-term. Many ways to play it. I like stocks like Brookfield Renewable, NextEra Energy, but also many, many ETFs to choose from, too many to mention here. But I think uh, an allocation to renewable energy
1: makes good sense. Andy Cross, what are you going to be watching? Chris, I've been watching the fintech
3: uh, market, the, the financial plus technology market. It's really evolving and growing. Um, that's, not a, that's not a big surprise. Two thirds of Americans now use some kind of form of online banking. I think that that's crossing definitely over 70%, I think, this year. 30% of banking customers now use some form of non traditional bank. We really saw an explosion of the buy now, pay later um, movement. Um, Square bought Afterpay for $30 billion. A firm is now an almost $30 billion business. Now, buy now, pay later, Chris, might have hit a little bit of a peak here, I think. It's really focused mostly to millennials, but in general, the payments market tied to technology is really going to continue to evolve. Um, our own Ascent found a, did a survey that 55% of consumers now use Buy Now Pay Later. So We are looking for new solutions, smart contracts on the blockchain, the open banking movement, which is really tying together third-party applications, very much like SaaS companies tie together third-party applications. I'm really interested to see what happens with the Bank of America, the JP Morgan, how they continue to stay competitive. and innovative in that space, companies I like in the space: Mastercard, um, Mercado Libre. I think is really interesting in this prices. Adyen. I really want to see the continued innovation in the fintech space and back the players that are that are
1: benefiting from it. Jason Moser, what about you? Yeah, uh, similar to to
2: AC. There, I, I'm keeping and I specifically on the buy now pay later market. Um, it, it, it obviously has been very well received here over over 2021. Um, seen as a a new way for consumers to, to finance purchases, typically smaller purchases, which is nice. But I think there's some things to, to keep an eye on uh, in, in this in this space. It's, it's a new space, it's growing. I think it's a space that's here to stay. But I think we're going to see a little, maybe maybe a little regulatory shakeup here in 2022. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, recently announced it's, it's seeking information from companies like Affirm, Afterpay, Klarna, PayPal, and Zip. On the Risks and the benefits of those buy now, pay later products. Uh, Typically, with new offerings like this, people tend to shoot first name, second in that they don't fully. Uh, define the market and and its its pitfalls and opportunities um, until they sort of discover them. And I think we're starting to discover them now. We're seeing signs at least. There's some consumers out there, up to a third at least, have have already missed at least one payment in their in their installment plans. Uh, that's something to to, to wonder about. Uh, but it's also something that I think is going to contribute more to consumers' credit records, both positively and negatively. And so we're going to see, I think, a lot of a lot of of, of formation taking shape here in 2022 for the buy now pay later space. And it's just always worth remembering. You've got different risk profiles all along the way with your, your pure plays like in a firm that focuses specifically on that space versus something like a PayPal where they built their own uh, BNPL offering within their platform, and it's it's just one part of the bigger business. So, so understanding the opportunities to invest in the space, you do have different risk profiles there to keep an eye on.
1: All right, Ron, before we get to individual stocks, what is a trend you're excited about in 2022?
0: Chris, I'm going to go with what my friends over at our trend spotter service called the Healthcare Revolution and that's defined as improving healthcare through cutting-edge innovation. Healthcare, nearly a $4 trillion industry in the U.S. alone, represents 20% of total GDP. More companies than ever looking to disrupt and transform this market. I see several themes that emerge, Uh, genomics, which I talk about often on the show, companies like CRISPR, Intelia, along the same lines of mass personalization, which is the customization of care to an individual's genetic profile companies like Illumina, Vertex, virtual care pa- platforms, and telemedicine. We got Teladoc, Amwell, Doximity. And finally, I think a concierge primary care is going to be an emerging trend. It's a very fragmented in part of the industry right now. Most companies still private. One Life Healthcare is one public company to check out in that space, but they had a rough 2021, so be careful if you want to go and check that one out.
2: Jason Moser, what about you? Everybody loves a little home improvement, right? I mean, I think we're all homeowners here, and it, you, I, you have a hard time arguing with me that that you don't have at least one home improvement project. On your agenda for 2022, if you told me you didn't, I wouldn't believe you anyway, Chris. But here we go. <laughs> uh, I mean, looking to 2022, I mean, the home improvement sector. We saw guidance recently from Lowe's, where they're actually calling for the sector to contract modestly, given that the industry benefited so much here recently from higher inflation of those costs that they were able to pass through, uh, as well as government stimulus. Now. I know it may sound a little awkward, why am I excited if it's a contracting industry? Well, I think that's why I'm excited, actually. I think they may be seeing things from a bit more of a conservative perspective here, Uh, and, and I think that business could be better than they think it may. And in the meantime, when you look at the housing stock in the United States, I mean, we have a limited supply of housing and a, a an existing base of homes that continue just to get older. With over half the homes in the U.S. now over forty years old and just begging for home improvements, so you figure that even if the market doesn't contract, well, then it's the market is pricing these stocks based on the expectations that management has laid out there. And I think you have an opportunity to potentially get into some good companies at reasonable prices. The obvious, the obvious suspects there are Home Depot and Lowe's, but you've
1: got other ways to play it as well. Andy, you got a trend you're excited about?
3: Yeah, Chris, the, the real push towards stakeholder-focused businesses and investors, the, the societal tsunami changes of COVID, the Black Lives Matter and social awareness, climate change, have really pushed companies to focus more on stakeholders, so that's employees, shareholders, Customers, suppliers, than just shareholders. The, the climate in the world as well, too, Chris. So it's a trend that's been building for a few years. You see, a, a conference board survey recently reported that uh, C from from the C suite reports that ninety percent of those respondents. Emphasizing stakeholders um, and stakeholder capitalism that is firmly in place, and 80% believe that it's going to affect the way they run their business. It's a healthy, long-term focused way to think as investors. So all these uh, new investors that have piled, piled into the market, Chris, over the last year, I'm excited to hopefully move them away from trading and speculating much more into business thinking. And this really takes the core of trying to understand how businesses are delivering for all of their stakeholders. And you see a lot of ways to measure this. Moody's in there. The Motley Fool's in there. Morningstar is doing it now, um, so lots of people focused on it, and it's really supporting companies like an Atlassian uh, that has a collaborative workforce tool and really focused on delivering for all of those stakeholders. So I really expect more and more reporting and more and more focus on that throughout the year.
1: Up next, a few stocks with upside potential and a few stocks with you know the opposite of upside potential. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Full Money, Chris Hill here with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. Jason Moser, I'm going to you first. What is a stock or industry that you think is poised for upside in 2022?
2: Yeah, let's go let's go stock specific this year. Uh, Chris, I'm looking at C3AI. The ticker there is AI. Um, something I've talked about before on the show here, but it's an enterprise AI artificial intelligence software company that provides an end-to-end platform as a service through its core technology in the C3AI suite. And ultimately what this is, it it allows its customers to design, develop and operate enterprise AI applications at scale. And so this matters because AI, enterprise AI specifically, is a large and growing market opportunity. According to Allied Market Research, the global enterprise AI market was valued at around $4.7 billion in 2018. It's projected to hit $53 billion. By 2026. And we've got really a true small cap here with C3AI. And, and when you look at connectivity, it's opening up all sorts of opportunities for businesses and consumers, devices speaking to other devices, the growth of cloud computing and Internet of Things. Uh, this really plays into the value proposition that enterprise artificial intelligence offers as it helps companies analyze and act on all of this data from all of these devices talking to one another. Uh, so, C3AI, a new company. Uh, to, to the to markets to just IPO in 2021, but, but definitely one with a lot of excitement behind it, one that I own personally and one that I've recommended, uh, one that I'm really
1: uh, looking forward to with 2022. Andy, what do you think has upside in 2022?
3: Yeah, Chris, playing off of that theme about all of the data that Jason mentioned with that his company. I'm looking at Crown Castle, symbol CCI, a real estate investment trust that owns and operates more than 40,000 cellular towers, 80,000 miles or more of fiber optic cable, and 80,000 smaller cell sites around the United States really supporting the 5G movement and push uh, that we're seeing so much we now are generating so much data and so much mobile data and 5G is 10 times faster than 4G uh, it's going to be a decade plus investment as we build it out Crown Castle is an 85 billion dollar company has 6.2 billion dollars in revenue has a yield of almost of around 3% it's raised that dividend 9% for the last uh, per year for the, since 2014 it leases that space that it owns yeah. And to to, add to wireless carriers um, continues to grow at a very nice clip. The build out of that space over the next few years and the next decade or so, I think, is going to be significantly important. Um, and their goal is to deliver a seven to eight percent dividend growth per year. So you add in the three percent dividend yield, and you got a stock that probably can do nine to ten percent per year for the long term, and it's much less volatile historically than the overall market with a beta of 0.45. So I like Crown Castle here. I especially like it, it's also continuing to push on some of those sustainability sustainability reporting that I talked about earlier.
0: Ron? You know, Costco has been one of my favorite companies for a long time. I love its membership model, high retention rates, the value proposition it offers customers, its pricing power in terms of being able to periodically increase the price of membership. I love their leadership, their corporate culture. But the stock is not the cheapest stock out there, so where does Costco go from here? I was intrigued when earlier this month, Berkshire Hathaway's Charlie Munger, who sits on Costco's board, said, Amazon may have more to fear from Costco in terms of retailing than the reverse. Costco will eventually be a huge internet player. People trust it, and they have enormous purchasing power. So, I think warehouses, certainly Costco's past and present, but online, which is less than 8% of sales, could be its future. I think I like where Costco goes from here.
1: All right, Jason, let's go in the other direction. What is a stock to avoid or at a minimum keep on a very short leash?
0: Yeah, let's go
2: short leash, but I really feel like Zillow is a story that has just gone back to square one. and That really, I think, is due to CEO Rich Barton dropping the hammer down on the company's eye-buying prospects when he basically just yanked that business completely out of the model. Uh, Whether that was the right idea or not, we will have to wait and see. But if you just look at these numbers between August 2020 and 2021, U.S. home prices notched a 19.8% gain, the largest uptick on record. Zillow's stock year-to-date is down 55% in the wake of a housing market that's just been on fire. Something doesn't add up here, and I think it's just the market's skepticism-slash-pessimism on where this business is headed
1: right now. Andy, what about you?
3: Chris, we love Oreos in my family, but I'm putting Mondelez on a short lease. We own it, and it really has not done anything. The stock for the last one, three, and five years has trailed the market. It's an $89 billion company, does $28 billion worth of sales, selling all kinds of cookies and biscuits and food. But really, the underperformance is just not really inspiring. It generates decent cash flow, decent margin that it uses to pay that dividend that has just boosted 11% this year, buys back some stock. So, overall, I do like those ESG Environmental, social governance goals that it's pushing to eliminate packaging use, use more, use less virgin plastics, a lot more recycled material. It just launched a green bond uh, um, earlier this year, so I like that part to it. But really, the underperformance for the stock is just not inspiring. Something that I'm keeping on a very short lease.
0: How about you, Ron? Got to be Peloton benefited from the at-home trend, resulted from the COVID lockdown, growth accelerated sharply. But now, hard to get a handle on where that business model shakes out post-COVID. Management recently said, it is clear that we underestimated the reopening impact on our company and the overall industry, recently cut full-year sales forecasts by up to a billion dollars. Company is not profitable, continues to burn cash. They did go out and raise a billion dollars in November through a follow-on offering. Omicron variant notwithstanding, people are getting back out there and rejoining gyms. Planet Fitness, for example, recently said its membership levels are almost back to a pre pandemic peak. Does not bode well for Peloton.
1: All right, just a couple minutes left. Uh, let's face it, some CEO seats are hotter than others. Uh, Andy, who's the CEO on the hot seat, as far as you can tell?
3: Chris, I'm putting Rick McVeigh, the CEO and founder of Market Access, a company I own, and I've really respected for so long, and they've done so well. Except for this year, they are looks like they are losing market share in their core business of high yield and high grade bond trading, an electronic trading platform that they've been they've built known. They're losing market share to TradeWeb, which is recently a public company. Um, they're doing very well. So uh, I just worry that the innovation at market access is not moving nearly fast enough McVeigh like I said he's a founder he owns a good amount of stock but they have a CFO who just who left earlier the growth is slowing a little bit margins are nicking down so overall I just want to make sure that Rick McVeigh is continuing to innovate and build out market access's platform to be able to drive both customer attention and future customer growth
1: Jason what about you
2: Yeah. I'm looking at Mark Anderson, the CEO of Alteryx, and it may seem a little odd. He's only been there for a little over a year, but he came into a business that was in a tough situation. He's trying to turn this thing around. The stock is down 47% for the year. Uh, so, so I will say, you know, typically we like to give these CEOs a little chance to uh, establish a plan and then execute that plan. They continue to refer to 2021 as the transition year. They brought in a new chief product officer. They welcomed Paula Hansen as the chief revenue officer. Uh, Mr. Anderson has plenty of experience with companies like Palo Alto Networks and uh, AnaPlan, among others. Uh, but really, it goes back to. They explicitly state twenty twenty one is the transition year, twenty twenty two is when the plan starts executing. We need to hold them to it. So even though it's only been there for a little while, certainly twenty twenty two
0: is going to be a a year of deliverables for Mr. Anderson or else. Ron, who are you putting on the hot seat? Zillow co-founder CEO Richard Barton, who controls 30% of the voting power. company recently had to exit their iBuying business where they bought homes uh, in the hope of selling them for a profit. Some believe management misled investors, originally saying the business was suffering as a result of problems with material and labor capacity. Now we find the business was completely fundamentally flawed. I don't think they handled this well. Uh, business decisions were poor. Communication was
1: even worse. Lots of class action lawsuits pending. Our 2022 preview rolls on right after this break, so stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money.
2: I won't let you
1: Motley Full Money, Chris Hill here with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. It is our 2022 preview, which I should point out, we're recording a few days early, so everyone, please do us a favor. Keep that in mind, just in case there are any last-minute announcements from any of the companies that we're talking about. All right, Ron, we're going to do a round of fill-in-the-blank For this first one, you can fill in the blank with a company, a CEO, an entire industry, whatever you want. Think of it as a buffet, Ron. Pick whatever (laughs) you want. I love a buffet. In 2022, blank is going to surprise a lot of investors. I'm going with Home Depot and Lowe's,
0: because following Lowe's earnings release and forward guidance earlier this month, I think expectations are on the lower side for both of these companies. Lowe's management indicated that the home improvement pandemic boom is finally waning in the absence of government stimulus checks and as U.S. consumers shift spending to other categories, and that the home improvement sector is likely to contract modestly in the coming year. You add in expectations of rising interest rates, continued worry about supply chain disruptions, and you get some pretty low expectations. But I'm going to take the other side of the trade, Chris, and say that despite a fair amount of non-homebound spending that we'll see in 2022, I think consumers will still be focusing on improving their homes, perhaps even permanently as a fundamental paradigm shift in spending.
1: So, for anyone listening to this point, if if any trends have emerged in the episode so far, it's uh, things are looking pretty good, at least from an optimism standpoint, for home improvement, and the exact opposite is happening with one company in particular, and that's Zillow. Uh, Andy, what do you think is going to surprise investors next year?
3: It is not Zillow, Chris. Um, I'm saying Okta, the customer and workforce identity management software uh, platform that serves 14,000 clients founded by Tom McKinnon who owns more than a billion dollars of that 35 billion dollar company the stocks actually down 10% this year they just digested this big acquisition for them of Auth0 uh, that provides uh, um, uh, individual login to loads of different customers, including The Motley Fool. Completed that in October. That will push it more towards the consumer login rather than just the enterprise login and workforce management side of the equation that Okta has been building and continues to be a leader in. I really think identity, along with security, but identity and workforce is going to be more and more of of a central part of the complete enterprise technology stack so to speak and Auth0 I think pushes them into a into a part of the of the market that is that is important because it's really developer focused so when I look at Okta plus Auth0 the stock not very good performer over the last year. I look at the opportunity for this massive market that they're serving. The stock does still trade at 30 times um, trailing sales, but I think they actually have some potential and some upside there from even from that multiple, Chris, this year as they continue to digest that, uh, that off zero, bring it more into the Okta Octo, Octo world and the Okta universe, and uh, surprise investors um, with some better performance than what they might be expecting.
1: Just a quick follow-up on the acquisition, because this is something we've talked about before with other companies making acquisitions, and one, two, three-quarters down the line, the acquiring company says something along the lines of what the Okta management said. "Eh, This is taking a little bit longer to um, make this acquisition whole for us as a business. Why do you think that is? Is there just not... Enough due diligence on the front end so that they can properly forecast? Or is it just the nature of business that when there's an acquisition, stuff is just going to come up?
3: Well, I think it's a little bit of, of everything, Chris. Definitely come up. I think also this is because it is that slightly different flavor of identity management that Okta is trying to acquire and did acquire with Off Zero. And I think the integration between the two is just taking longer and longer for them to figure out. I actually just because of the culture at Okta and the culture at Off Zero, I do think they get that worked down. I think it's a nice catalyst for the stock long term.
1: All right, Jason, what do you think is going to surprise investors in twenty twenty two?
2: Yeah, you know, I think that we're going to be talking about the supply chain crunch in semiconductors for longer than we think we will, and I think that'll take some people by surprise. Um, We we've seen language in a lot of these earnings calls here over the last several uh, weeks. Uh, CEOs calling for the first half of 2022 to really uh, realize most of these of these supply chain crunch headwinds, and, and then things to kind of uh, abate towards the back half of the year. The problem is a few things, right? When, when we look at the chip space, and, and it's obviously notoriously very volatile and cyclical. I think that cyclicality window is shrinking as everything becomes connected, right? I mean, chips are just—they're needed for everything now, pretty much. Uh, And and we looked to DC earlier in the year uh, for for some remedies there, and, and we've got some things on paper here: the Chips for America Act, the Fabs Act. I mean, these are real pieces of legislation that could. Uh, in theory, help. Uh, the problem is these things are still stuck in DC and in, in gridlock, and and not being uh, negotiated and finalized here. And, and really, it's anyone's guess as to when they may actually be finalized. Uh, so the more time that goes by where we don't uh, have this legis- uh, legislation squared away, uh, I think it's just going to be more time that we'll see this this supply chain crunch carry on. And, and I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, to hear us talking about uh, this well into the third. quarter
1: Or maybe even the fourth quarter of next year. All right, Andy, fill in the blank. This time next year, I think I'm going to regret not owning blank. I think I'm going to regret not
3: owning Monday.com, a relatively new company, when IPO this, uh, this year uh, provides workplace collaboration and planning tools for around 130,000 customers. Um, it's a $300 stock and a $13 billion market cap uh, with $876 million in cash and no debt. revenues growing 75% or more a year. Trades at 32 times 2022 revenues. But, Chris, the reason I like it is because it scores very high on Trust Radius that measures software customer reviews, the work OS platform, its key platform. It's scalable, it's flexible work management that integrates with uh, lots of different other tools. The onboarding is very seamless. It's very elegant, I think, for that space. It's a very friendly user interface that. That customers can tailor and customize. Um, so when I look at the Monday.com space they're serving, that workplace collaboration, I mentioned last year and before, I think Monday.com is more of the future. They have large clients that spend more than fifty thousand per year with them. That grew three times over the last year. Their co-founders and co-CEOs own almost twenty percent of the company, and Salesforce and Wix also owns a bunch of stock in the company. So when I look forward, I think Monday.com has the potential. It'll be volatile, Chris, but I think it'll. It has a potential to be a really nice winner over the long term.
1: Ron, what about you? Home Depot and Lowe's. No, I'm
0: just kidding. (laughs) I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with Visa. I own I own MasterCard, but not Visa because shares don't always offer an attractive entry point. But the stock is down about 15% from its 52-week high, trading at about 29 times forward earnings. Actually, pretty cheap for Visa, which typically trades in the mid-30s. So this could be my opportunity. Cross-border transactions will continue to improve as we get COVID under control. With the increase in everything digital, Visa is acutely aware of the long-term threat to its card-based business model. It's built partnerships with some of the biggest companies in fintech, expanding its relationship with PayPal, for example. There is some concern that over in the U.K., Amazon is no longer going to accept Visa as a payment method, but I think that is likely to get worked out, so I'm looking to add Visa to my portfolio this year. Jason? Yeah, one I've enjoyed
2: digging into more and more lately. A company called Matterport. Uh, So, just mental note here, Jason, get Matterport at the top of the watch list because I feel like you're gonna want to own this one. Uh, Matterport is a digital capture and spatial data company, Uh, and so they focus on digitizing and indexing the built world. So, I think buildings and spaces, offices. Apartment complexes, yada, yada, yada. Its software works with a very wide range of 3D cameras, 360 degree cameras, iPhones, uh, but it gives customers the ability to create a digital twin of any size, scale, and complexity. And so we're wrapping up 2021 here and we've heard a lot about this word, the metaverse, right? I mean, we all ask the questions of how this metaverse works, what does it really mean, how is it going to impact our lives? Still a little bit squishy, and the concept certainly can make the mind wander, but I actually really see the value in Matterport when it comes to the, to the metaverse uh, in, in mapping this built world, so to speak. And so, uh, we talk about large mar- market opportunities. I mean, they see a total addressable market globally of $240 billion. Now, you take that with a grain of salt, of course, but when you put that in the context, the company's operating at a $108 million annual revenue uh, rate today. Uh, so it just strikes me as an opportunity for a business that really does something well. Uh, not a lot of other companies really do what they're doing. Uh, this is one that I think has, has a
1: lot of potential. We've talked about acquisitions uh, a couple of times on this show. Last fill in the blank, Andy. This year, don't be surprised if blank buys blank.
3: Cause I think Shopify might go out shopping, and I'm looking at them maybe to pick up some Wix, which is also a very uh, similar tool, um, provides an e-commerce platform um, for for lots of different clients around the world. I think Shopify, it has a it's a $170 billion company with $7.5 billion in cash and $1 billion in debt, it generates $5 billion in revenues as are growing 50%. But it's coming off this amazing period over the last couple of years, and as the profitability curve ramps up. All of their sales have been organic. Maybe they'll start to look to spread a little bit. Wix is an $8 billion market cap with $1 billion in sales, growing at 20 to 30% per year. The stock has really underperformed here, so it could be an opportunity for Shopify to pick up Wix, another founder-led organization, and a solid business for a discount.
1: You think regulators might have a couple questions if Shopify, a company that size, buys a smaller competitor?
3: Chris, I I did think about that before I came out to you and thinking maybe it should be my reckless prediction, but I don't think so. It's such a diverse marketplace uh, with lots of different large competitors. I don't think regulators would um, would look at it, but I don't think they're going to frown on it.
0: Ron? Don't be surprised if someone buys Peloton here. As, As we've discussed, Things are not so rosy over at Peloton, 70%, 77% off its 52-week high, but still a $13 billion company, so it, it's not free. But I do think <laughs> you could find someone out there that is interested in the connected fitness model, the membership model. There certainly is a dedicated core customer base. As I said, I'm not exactly sure what, how big that core customer base is. After COVID shakes out, but you could see Apple, Nike, Disney going in there, each with a kind of a different slant on it, whether it's connected fitness or membership model, to perhaps take out Peloton
1: at a close to a 52-week low. Does Peloton need to consider some sort of um, greater push into health technology? Because when we talk about connected fitness, it seems like connected health does better and appears to have a slightly brighter future than connected fitness, at least if the last decade has been any indication.
0: I think that's fair, and an Apple-Peloton combination would get it there. I think it first needs to right-size its ship. What's the proper price point for the bike? What's the proper price point for the membership? Get that business where you want it to be, and then you can expand out. Jason? Uh, sure, this is a bit of a bigger picture look at
2: things, but it, it, a lot of new investors here recently in the past couple of years as uh, new platforms arise for us to uh, buy and sell stocks. And I know a lot of folks out there probably, Chris, they think that markets just go up, right? You buy stocks and they just go up. But yeah, no, that's not the reality, right? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I, what? I wouldn't be surprised at all if next year we have a down year in the market. Hey. Uh, the last the last down year was two thousand and eighteen, right? And, and you know that old saying that, that one of every three years the market is down on average. Um, now whether that plays out or not, we'll have to wait and see. But I do think we're going to see uh, some level in, of inflation uh, impacting our economy. Stimulus, I think, is going to become a thing of the past. We're going to see interest rates continuing to go up, meaning the cost of doing business is going to go up for for many businesses as well. So uh, it, it, it is. It's a prognostication, of course. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and, and furthermore, I'll add to that. You know, that doesn't mean you really should change your investing strategy, right? A down year in the market is okay. Don't think that means you shouldn't be invested. You should be invested, and perhaps there are going to be some some good opportunities out there as well. Uh, so just keep that in mind as two, uh,
1: 2022 unfolds. Guys, I'm just going to add my two cents here. This year, don't be surprised if Mark Zuckerberg buys himself a new CEO for Meta Platform. In 2021, we saw not one but two CEOs of big tech companies, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, Jack Dorsey at Twitter, say, you know what? Hanging out with Congress every once in a while, not high on my list of things that I want to spend my time doing. <laughs> I'm gonna find someone else to run this. I think 2022 could be the year Mark Zuckerberg reaches the same conclusion. Some business shows err on the side of caution, but this is Motley Fool Money. Up next, we're gonna give you our reckless predictions for the year. Stay right here. She
0: stuck a cell phone camera right into my face with the flick of my wrist. it's my fault for being famous.
1: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, Ron Gross, and our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd. We're not doing stocks on our radar. This is the show where we make reckless predictions for 2022. Jason Moser, you're up first.
2: Well, Chris, you remember that old saying, buy land, they aren't making any more of it? Well, let me tell you, we're getting ready to see the Metaverse flip that on its head. (laughs) If you think that 20% growth in the U.S. housing market was something, the growth in Metaverse real estate is going to make your head spin. And There are some pretty mind-bending numbers out here to back this up. Republic Realm, a firm that develops real estate in the Metaverse, Just paid $4.3 million for quote unquote land in the virtual world sandbox. This was the biggest virtual real estate sale publicized to date. And I think that what we're going to see is greater growth from the virtual real estate market in 2022 than the physical real estate market in 2022. And this is going to, we're going to see the development of an entirely new asset class, Meta REITs.
1: Yeah, but if you pull the plug out of the electric socket, doesn't that (laughs) real estate disappear? I mean, Chris, those are details. I I mean, come on, details. Ron Gross, make a reckless prediction. Warren Buffett will step down
0: as CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, handing the reins over to Greg Abel, vice chairman of non-insurance operations. Buffett will remain chairman of the board. This will allow investors to ease into the transition versus the inevitable day when Buffett, for whatever reason, is no longer able to continue. And a bonus prediction, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be the first team to repeat as the Super Bowl champs since Tom Brady did it with the Patriots in 2003-2004. Wow.
1: I will remind listeners, your Super Bowl prediction a year ago on this show held up nicely for you and your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Andy Cross, what do you got?
3: Chris, this might be truly reckless, because I don't think it's actually going to happen. And if it does, wow. And it would be a shame, because I like reading and following him, but I think Elon Musk might give up on Twitter, not the stock, the actual platform for good. We know earlier this year, he took a little pause, maybe two days, and he was back at it in force. But considering all of the run-ins with the SEC, the comments on stonks and Tesla going private and weird weird cryptos like Dogecoin, and they had to settle with the SEC for $40 I think he might actually pull back, leave Twitter, and heck, with him, he might even start his own
1: platform. Dan Boyd, do you have a reckless prediction you'd like to make for 2022? It can be about business investing, or you can go the Ron Gross route and uh, make it about something else.
2: I don't want to predict sports, Chris. I'm not that smart. I'm not like Ron Gross. But my prediction is that I do not think people are going to be paying money for their student loans in 2022. The Biden administration today extended federal student loan payment pause until May 1st. This is going to be a big midterm election year. I do not see student loans coming back in 2022. I don't, I mean, personally, that's great for my family,
1: but for investors out there, that might be something to consider. Possibly more money flowing into the stock market as a result of that? Or, I mean, we're having a baby in February,
2: so probably more diapers for us. (laughs) Nice.
1: Predict good things for you as you join the club of fatherhood, my friend. Well, thank you, Chris. Jason Moser, Ron Gross, Andy Cross, guys, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Chris. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Dan Boyd. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in 2022.